Hello and welcome to episode 89 of the Good Good Golf Podcast. Rod Murray holding the reins, though not pretending to be in any sort of control over where things go from here. Regular listeners might have noticed that we missed an episode last week. Apologies for that. But sometimes life and other stuff just gets in the way and it got away from us, from us completely last week. However, that just means there's so much more to catch up on today and we'll be doing that just that when we have the great pleasure of welcoming Women in Golf online magazine editor, editor Emma Ballard to the pod in just a few moments. Before we bring in Emma, however, let me introduce my co-host in this weekly adventure. He comes to us from New Digs, which is part of the reason we missed last week, Adrian Logue. Big test for the audio quality at your new house today, Logue. Kindly share that sound quality with the listeners, please. Uh, I'm much better insulated this room that I'm in now. There's no like motorbikes going past and buses and I'm not seeing any condensation like on the that. windows either like we had for the last yeah oh, it's all properly months. insulated <laughs> this is a, like a room for room. all seasons that I'm in it's fantastic out of the lean moving into moving the was a punish but yeah. I'm, I'm here oh, moving how long had you been at your other place uh over 10 years oh that's brilliant. and it's amazing the stuff you can accumulate in 10 years and movers the removalists are are some of the most amazing people they're right up there oh, with yeah. paramedics they, oh, they meet yeah. people on the worst day of their lives. And, <laughs> and they're also and great. And patients. The way they stack yes, the they trucks, are. the Tetris, it's they incredible. Are. Dare Our I ask the ratio, dare I ask the ratio of your boxes to your wife's boxes numbers that had to be moved? Uh, I, 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 she doesn't I, listen, does she? I'm going to plead the fifth. <laughs> <laughs> Good thinking. Good yeah. thinking. Well, I'm very happy with the new studio. That can now be Talking Golf Central Studio 2. Uh, looking forward to today. And from all the way on the other side of the world, where it's been a big couple of weeks in golf, we had the Curtis Cup matches, followed by the AIG Women's Open. Coming up this week, the Solheim Cup. There's also a bit of men's golf on with a handicap event in Atlanta, offering a first prize of $15 bucks. That's a novel idea, isn't it? Looking forward to chatting about all of that with Emma Ballard, long-time listener, first-time caller, as I understand it, Emma. Welcome. Yes. Um, I'm probably... One of your biggest fans, I'd say. Well, there's I love three of you. So every week. <laughs> there's three. My mum's one and Logue's mum's one. You're third. Yep. So you can find out yourself <laughs> amongst yourselves who's our biggest fan. Now, it is fabulous to have you aboard at last. Uh, lots to talk about, as we said. Now, Emma, you're recently appointed at Women and Golf. Firstly, tell us what I always think of Women and Golf as a magazine. And when I think of magazine, I think of print. But it's 2021. That's passe, isn't it? What is Women and Golf? Is it a website? Is it an online mag? How do you sort of refer to it? Well, the brand itself is 30 years old, so it was initially a print magazine. And now, due to COVID last year, they decided to um, basically have to disband the magazine. And unfortunately, you know, that's what had to happen. And now we're fully digital offering, and that's it, really. And um, I came on board in April and have basically taken on from there and my day-to-day role is to maintain the website do our social media and also to um basically just keep up to date with everything that's going on in the world of in the world of women's golf apart from that not really much to do at all are your headphones bothering (laughs) you there emma have you got did you want to no it's just hearing my voice back (laughs) so i sound like a bit of a robot (laughs) so if i only have the microphone on one or the headphone on one ear i could sound a bit better better. how have you found it in all honesty because that is an awful lot to cover the notion of just keeping up with what's happening in women's golf logue's not working media so he doesn't understand this it's a whole lot more than you'd think isn't it yeah i think so and i think the problem i found is that 
I wanted to change the world when I came in in April. I had some grand plans of what I was going to do, how I was going to, you know, it, it build the exposure of women's golf in particular. And there's just not enough hours in the day. Really? And it's not just about tour golf. You know, a lot of our readers are interested in what's happening at club level. They want to know about all sorts of initiatives. So it's not just what's happening on the LET every week, unfortunately, which is one of the things I really enjoy. Um, so, yeah, I just think... Yeah, I need I need more money, need more resource, I need more writers, and then I'd be you know then women in golf would be at the top of the world sort then of you thing. Can, you can get, I, on, I, get on and do something you would want have, to. I would have thought it's just a matter of going to the tournaments and like holding a <laughs> glass of champagne that gets refilled all the time and sort of texting w- <laughs> orders back to your staff of writers and. Unfortunately, the staff of writers is me, <laughs> um, so I have to do it all. But we do have a couple of others in the team, but but mainly the day-to-day running of the website is just me. Um, so it is pretty full-on, and it's a, pretty much a seven-day-a-week job as well. So, And then if you add the social media into that as well, it becomes quite yeah all-encompassing to be well, honest that's, that's actually and- relentless isn't it emma it is relentless the social media aspect it is a 24 7 caper yeah i mean um my previous role was in marketing and social media so i got the social media bit sort of ticked off but yeah it's just it's just mad and the fact that obviously the golf tournaments are happening over the weekend but obviously there's the day-to-day stuff happening monday to friday yeah, I think I've aged a lot in the last six months. <laughs> yeah, well, that is hard. Look, we've failed in getting anybody to feel sorry for us, Emma, those of us who get to write about golf for a living, but it's nowhere near as easy as we're making it look, I think is the point, as with all good professionals. So, uh, yeah, spare a thought for, for the people who do put out uh, all the magazines and the news stuff on a daily basis. Of course, your first really big event, I think we could safely say, was last week. You went to the ARG Women's Open at Canoosti. Tell us about that just the opportunity to get there the first time for a start because anybody who's done the job knows, remembers what it's like that first time. It's intimidating, it's exhilarating, it's terrifying, it's all sorts of stuff. What was it like? How'd you go at Canoosti? Yeah, it was good. I mean, if I'm honest, I did get to go into a media centre a couple of years ago at at Woburn um, when I was working with the PGA over here and that was quite a cool experience in itself because I wasn't proper media. So I was sort of wandering around, looking at all the desks and thinking, how great is this? And the one thing that struck me was these guys and girls just sitting at their desks all day. And I was like, what are they doing? Like, there's amazing golf going on out there. Why are they just sitting there? They're not, oh God, they're just not getting the full experience. And uh, yeah, I think I realised what you have to do if you're really going to cover a golf event. And it's not necessarily going out and watching all the people you want to see. So, you know, I think one of the things, I, one of the main things I took away is like how long the days are for a start, because especially on the Thursday and the Friday, I mean, you don't need to be there for the first tee off as such, but you need to know what's going on throughout the whole day. And, you know, the first person going out could shoot the lowest score or it could be the last person or anywhere in between. So, yes, you're sitting there waiting to see what that story of the day will be. Um and really, especially on the last day, you are sitting there watching the live feed because you need to know. And and as everyone knows that watched it, it was just everything was going on on that last day. There was so many people in contention that, 
yeah, if I was standing out on 18, I wouldn't have never, you know, I'd never have been able to, to, to be able to cover it properly. The last place um, you can cover a golf tournament from is the golf course. It's by far the yeah. worst well, place to be. Well, it would be lovely. <laughs> It'd be lovely, but it just doesn't work that way, unfortunately, unless it's going no. to be a coronation. You're a – Emma's one of us now. Like, you're a non-media type who's spent some time in media. So I think you've expressed some of the similar views to Emma, haven't you, from what you've discovered about how it actually does work, how the sausage really is made? Yeah, I mean, the first thing that always strikes me is uh, how bad the food is in media yeah. centres. That's If that's there is, the- <laughs> is indeed any. <laughs> Although the RNA puts on a pretty good... Well, uh, I was going to say, I did also have Solheim Cup credentials, uh, media credentials in Glen Eagles, and it was a three-course lunch. <laughs> yeah, wow. And I was like, who goes anywhere when you've got a three-course lunch? It was amazing. This year was slightly different, I think. Um, the food wasn't you know, too bad. It wasn't equally wasn't like three course cuisine. So, oh, I'm not complaining. It was a free lunch. So, no such thing as a free lunch, Emma. (laughs) Logue? Yeah, it really isn't set up well. Surprisingly, like the media centre can often be a long walk from the course as well. Um, Deliberately. You know, an out of the way place because it's just difficult to put a big tent Mm. down somewhere that's not a patron area. Uh, and so you've really got to commit to go out and watching a group or you've got to plan your day out. Um, and like Emma said, you know, look for a story at the start of the day. It may not be an evolving story. It may be a story that you've got to sort of dig for and find yourself and then plan your day around that. But then if something else happens, then mm. you've got to be prepared for that as well. The yes, problem for uh, you, Emma, when you're doing sort of everything and you've got to, you're, you're the only person, so you've got, to, you've got to have the story of the day. Anything else is a bonus. So... You really do need to be kind of stuck in there. When there's a team of people, you do have the opportunity. So, for example, at the Australian Open, there might be myself, Martin Blake, Mark Hayes and Mike Clayton and John Huggan. Well, there's plenty to go around there. You can pick a story and you can go out and search for it. If you've got to do the story of the day, you don't want to stray too far from that media centre because that person's going to come through there at some point. If you miss it, you've missed it. Yeah, I think so. And I think for the first time ever, the media centre was in a really good location and I don't know whether that's to do with COVID or the way they had to lay everything out, but we were literally by the Spectator Village um, and right by the hotel, pretty much by the 1st and the 18th. I've never known an ability just to walk. I mean, at Woburn, it was like you say, it was like a half mile walk to even get near the course. So that was really, really good. And it also helped with trying to get to see how the atmosphere was as well. Um, I think also from our perspective, because... We aren't just about the tour. Um, it was good to be able to give people a feel of what the event was like. So on the on the Thursday and the Friday, you know, we actually ventured out on the Thursday to have a look around so we could give people some feedback what it's like to be a bit spectator. Because we can't, you know, if I just did tour stuff every day, which I did a bit of, um, it's just not exactly what our what our readers were looking for. So it's trying to show them the merch tent and all that sort of stuff and where you can sort of lose all your money and all that sort of things as well. Were you like a wide-eyed kid? <laughs> well, it as always at women's golf events, I'm always a bit disappointed, to be honest. Uh, there's never enough merch. Uh, you know, you go to the Open and you literally are in this enormous tent with hundreds of options um, and I always come away with my little ball marker. That's all I get <laughs> for a fiver. And then, um, and then at the Women's Open, it's always been a bit 
yeah disappointing so you when it when it was the rico it was just rico branded stuff it wasn't specific for that year oh, really? it was a, an eclectic mix of, of of outfits and things like that um this year was a bit better um it was but it was just again it was just adidas which was fine and it, it looked great but that was it it was and there was a few branded bits and bobs but not much and i just think that's such a missed opportunity because everyone likes to have a bit of merch which has got the the name of the mm. of the event you've been to um and i wasn't even able to get my aig women's open like bull mark or anything i was a bit disappointed mm. to be honest at, we'll give them at the men's open a couple of years Sorry. ago they had yeah. the 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 volunteers had a like a hugo boss uh wind jacket in in a sort of a khaki uh olive green it was it was very classy looking and uh it just had a really understated uh, open logo, which is exactly what you want. There was no sponsorship on it or anything like that, and uh, but you couldn't actually get them in the marquee. But they're on eBay straight after the tournament. That was, uh, yeah, well, that's the thing. All the marshals had these beautiful bright blue Adidas jackets with the AIG logo on and these really cool caps. And I was like, oh, that's what I want. <laughs> but no, they had them. But they do look really. They did look really smart. We'll give them a pass for this year only on the basis that AIG tipped in a whole bunch of extra money this year and are tipping in a whole bunch of extra money next year, but that all happened fairly late. Somebody has decided, Emma, that there's not a business opportunity being missed there with what you're outlining. Do you reckon they're right? Do you reckon, or do you yeah, reckon I, that is a missed opportunity? I, I just think it is. But then equally we're one year post – well, so one year post COVID. So again, I'm just not sure whether just logistically it made sense to have something a bit smaller and, you know, just keeping one brand in there was the easiest way. Plus obviously their official partner. So yeah, I, I definitely think it's a missed opportunity, especially with the number of families that were there that would have wanted to do it. And as always with these things, there weren't really any cheaper options. No. So I went to go get something for my daughters and it was a 45 pound shirt. Yeah. And I was like, no, nah, they're not getting anything this time. <laughs> it feels like gouging, doesn't it? And I feel like yeah. that's a mistake. I think we've talked about this before, Like, You wonder sometimes whether the tournament organisers or those in the really senior positions ever actually go and have the customer experience because if they did, they might run things a bit differently, don't you reckon? Well, you know for sure that's what happens at the Masters um, because that that experience is without, without uh, peer and uh, it – goes for the merchandise uh, building there, which is enormous but incredibly efficient. Um, and, uh, of course, the concession stands, which you, you you look at it and you think you've got no chance of getting in and out of there within a minute or two but or within even 30 minutes when you look at a line. But before you know it, you're out within, you know, it's usually a couple of minutes. It's, uh, it's just a really amazing operation. And, uh, you know, they do that unintuitive thing of charging less and... Uh, it works. And no, he does. Look, I've got my coffee mug. <laughs> oh, <Emma's, laughs> not for the first time she's waved the coffee mug in front of the camera when I've been talking to Emma digitally, the Masters logo uh, there front and centre. What were the crowds like? What have you got? You've got some sort of little tumbler glass. He, he drinks some fancy coffee cups. It, it is an amazing it's, setup. It's I mean, I've never seen anything like it at the <laughs> Masters. It's just something I will never forget going through that merch tent and everything. It's just it's just phenomenal. I've never heard anybody come back from the Masters and say they were disappointed. And I know lots of people who would have gone within the back of their minds, 
oh, this is overhyped. It can't be as good as they say. And every single one of them to a person comes back and says, you can't believe how good it is. It, it, it exceeds expectations. Uh, why don't Lee. Why don't the rest of the tournaments fall? I remember Jeff Ogilvie said to us once on State of the Game, Adrian, every year at the Masters, everybody goes away Sunday night and says, that's how you run a golf tournament. That's how you set up a golf course. And then everyone for the rest of the year goes out of their way to do the exact opposite. What's it about? Well, it's just about ownership, who owns the tournament. Um, you know, the Augusta National has complete agency over all of the decisions that are made there, whereas pretty much every other tournament in the world has a lot more stakeholders that they answer to, from the sponsor to the to the people who have the commercial rights for the tournament um, and the tour that's running it, and, and on it goes, and, and the governing bodies. and all that. Every other tournament is compromised in some way that the Masters has managed to avoid. And, and if uh, they weren't, do you reckon any of those tournaments would run like the Masters? I don't. I agree. It takes some courage um, because a lot of the ideas, again, I think we've talked about this before, but if you pitched half the ideas of what they implement at the Masters to a board of uh, directors, they'd, they'd uh, fire you. So mm. uh, and it, it's a sort of strategy that takes a few years to work as well. Like it, you might actually make a loss for a little while, um, especially trying to do it in the modern world. I think you, the masters are probably you lurch from quarter to quarter in the modern world. If you don't produce a profit at each quarter, then <laughs> you're kind of out of business by the next. All that aside, Emma, there's obviously that you know we know that the women's open is one of the biggest events in the world. They've been taking it to fantastic venues for the last. 50, 12, 15 years, I'm going to say. And that really has upped the prestige of the event. What was it like on the ground there at Canoosie? Brutally difficult golf course, brutally difficult finish to the golf course. What was it like on the ground? Did it feel like big-time golf? Yeah, I think so. I think they didn't have the weather as such as that everyone wanted. So everyone wants, you know, the howling winds and, you know, and all the rain and everything. Everyone and there was only a bit of rain on the Saturday. The players are quite happy not to have any of that. Everyone except the players. No, I was. Brutal. Yes. I was more than happy. And, and on the Thursday when we were out on the course, there was glorious sunshine. So you're sitting in the stand thinking, oh, this is quite nice. But yeah, I mean, the actual course setup was really tricky, especially the on the back nine. And that definitely was the undoing of some of the some of the players that week. And But it was just maybe a bit more... To me, it seemed a lot more open than I expected it to be. The, the rough didn't look as thick and, you know, as challenging. I'm sure it was if you were in it, but it didn't look as challenging as I as I remember seeing it on the TV before. Um, but the layout there is really good. It's really easy to walk around. Um, you know, it was just you've got little hills and stuff that you can stand on so you get a good spectator point of view. Um, so I think it was really well set up and with only, I think it was 8,000 maximum spectators each day, um, it was really, really sort of well set up, I thought. Kind of the open you want to go to, isn't it, in a way, Logue? Only 8,000 people a day, that's the one you want to be at, the ones where you can't get near any of the players because there's so many people. Uh, great atmosphere, but not so good for the viewing. I'm not, I've am not. i played at Canusia, I can't remember exactly. It would be a better viewing course than most, I would think, based on what we saw. Well, I've, yeah, I've been to a few opens and... The one at Birkdale was the only one where I really could see any golf because yeah. it's like five deep everywhere, but Birkdale has that sort of natural amphitheatre around yeah. almost every hole um, where the fairways follow the valleys. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I went to the um, Molinari Open at Carnoustie and, uh, yeah, the viewing was really tough there. It was, you know, 10 deep wherever you went and, uh, yeah, very hard to get round and you, you, it's hard to... It's, 
it's an event. It's a it's an amazing event to be at, and the buzz is there. But it is actually really hard to see any golf. Thursday, Friday, it was Saturday. really it was good. I was going to say I got to go to the Friday at Royal St George's, and it was packed. And that's a totally different thing where you're standing on your tiptoes trying to see what's going on. Um, so there's pros and cons. I mean, I think the that the women playing would would like to have more spectators, but from a spectating point of view, it's much better when there's Let's not so many. Best golf spectating tip I ever received was from Andre Stoltz. He said, start at the 18th green and walk the course backwards so you're always going against the crowd. And it works. It's quite remarkable how well it can work because you're always ahead of the play with the bigger groups and then you get beyond those big ones and it's uh, it's good sort of viewing. What was the best thing you saw, Emma? You don't get these opportunities often. Lots of people who are listening to us won't have had a chance to go to a big-time event seeing world-class players up close the way you did. What was the best moment of that for you? And why should people bother? I feel like television, in a way, particularly weekly golf on television, has ruined a bit the experience of going to tournaments because your expectations are so high. Every week you watch Tiger and Phil and Rory and Jason and all the the, you know, the top women players, Anna Nordquist, who we saw, Lexi Thompson, Nellie Corder. You get to see these people every week on TV. So if they're not going to be at the tournament you go to, you kind of think, oh, maybe it's a bit ho-hum. It's not. You've gone and watched the pick of them. What was the highlight for you? Well, it has to be Louise Duncan. I think a home favourite is just, it's just brilliant. And... Every single day, she had quite a crowd following her, and half the time she looked like she was going to be sick. Every time I looked at her, I was like, oh my goodness, <laughs> these deep breaths and looking very pale, and then just absolutely hitting some magnificent shots. And when she came down 18 every day, it was just, the buzz was brilliant. And obviously, you've got the hospitality there as well, and there were some people whooping and screaming for her as she's coming down, and... It was just really, really good. And then on the Saturday when we actually had the rain, and I'll admit I did take shelter in the media centre, <laughs> but um, when she finished on 18, the flood of people with their umbrellas up that sort of vacated 18, half probably heading home, half going to the sort of beer tent, it was amazing. You would never have thought it was an amateur you know, golfer that, was, that had sort of created this crowd. And I... I mean, I was, as I say, I didn't do, go out every single day right out into the middle of the course, but she had to have one of the biggest followings there, and it was such a great story. Um, and then, obviously, to challenge on the final, or to potentially challenge on the final day was just, yeah, it would have been a, an absolutely brilliant overall story if she'd been able to, to do that on the Sunday. Did you get to chant the chance to chat to her in one of those media packs? I think, how did she deal with all of that? Because it would have been quite overwhelming, I would imagine. For a girl yeah, who not long ago was seriously thinking about what she was going to do with her future, golf wasn't going to be it, and now all of a sudden she wins the amateur, then she contends at the Open. Everything's changing pretty rapidly for her there. Did you get to stand in on any of the, the press conferences with her? Yeah, you I mean, just when you watch her, she looks so terrified. So that's yeah. a, that was the thing that got me. But then obviously, I think with anything when you're doing this, you sort of calm down, take a couple of deep breaths and... And, you know, you get asked the questions, you know, the answers too. So she, she sort of settled down. But it was, there was part of me that just worried about how nervous she looked, um, whether it be in the press conference or on the first tee or even on the 18th green, where she's taking, you know, just looks like this big sigh at the end going, thank goodness that's over. But I'm sure she enjoyed it. But it's just, 
yeah, she just she she made me feel nervous when I, when I was watching or talking to her. The press conference would have been scarier than on the course for I reckon. I think most of the mm-hmm. players will tell you that they're quite happy to play the golf. But like, can we read anything into the the fact that Louise Duncan uses a claw grip already at her age? Because I'm noticing lots of young players have already gone to the claw putting grip. I don't know whether you noticed. I just seem to have noticed it the last month or two. Yeah, it's becoming the default. Isn't it orthodox? It's becoming orthodox. Um, it's sort of the cross-handed of this generation, oh, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it's one or the other, isn't it? Yeah. Becoming um, the cross-handed of this generation, isn't it? Cross-handed grip used to be considered unorthodox and weird. Now lots of people use it. It's not at all uncommon. I think the claw grip seems to be going the same way. I just noticed that for a player of her age, what is she, 18, Emma? Louise? Mm, I think that's right. It's not too early to have the yips, though. Never oh, good Lord never, never totally have the hips. Like, if you're a golfer, you can have the lips. Have you lost sound there, Emma? Sorry, I've got a bit of a microphone issue again. Sorry. What have you, what's happened? You, I've got. I can't quite hear you. Sorry. You lost us. You with us? You're back again. No. Yes. Yes. No. I have to talk amongst yourselves. Rod, have to talk amongst Rod's yourselves. definitely done something. It's- There's no question about that. It was working perfectly before you got on here. Yes, no, no. Sorry, yes. carry no, it's on. That's okay. You got you with us? We're not quite, but <laughs> I'll get there. I don't like the sound of this. What's uh Try turning one of those the bottom <laughs> knob. Find a, on find a dial and turn it. <laughs> That'll yeah. be Logue's response. No, yes, yes, no. We'll have to keep talking, Logue, so that Emma can hear us so that when it when it's right. Yeah. Yeah, you shouldn't have to be doing that. That's bizarre. See, the problem is if we don't have the headphones, the sound comes out, the speakers goes back into the microphone, then I have to spend two hours cleaning it out of the rest of the files. All right. Now? Can you hear us? How's that? No. What's that watch you're wearing? (laughs) My watch. Yeah. Yeah, he's a watch guy. It's an Atticus. Is it? Is it? Sorry, which one? Sorry. It's an Atticus watch. Atticus, oh, I'm not familiar with it. Atticus, that like- E-T-I-Q-U-S. It's a special golf watch. Oh, is it? Is it like a micro brand? Atticus. Yeah, it's the one that's in the UK. I don't. I can't even show you because you can't even see on a, on a podcast, but it's got like a little uh, flag that goes round and you can oh, cool. sort of time your holes. Nice. Does that bezel rotate? Yeah, it does. Okay. So you can show which time you start. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, Logue's turned, Logue has turned into a watch guy. This is what's happened. So now everybody I've who knows Logan has to endure his watch talk. So this is what he does watch all the time. Yeah. yeah. It's a nice bracelet on that one too. Yeah. <laughs> Raise gold. Oh, there you go. There you go. I know nothing about watches. I've never worn one. Have you got one to show, Logue, now that we're doing show and tell? Have you got something there that you'd like <laughs> him to see? Not really. I've got nothing within reach. Oh, within reach here, I've got uh, it's just an Orient sort of dress watch thing. It's quite oh, nice. just on a leather what? band. Really simple face. Last, it's quite pretty. Last time I saw Logue in person, he was picking up some uh, watch bands that had been posted to him. That's what had got him out of the house. <laughs> he ordered watch bands online <laughs> in the middle of a lockdown. Dear Eddie, we were talking about uh, Louise uh, Louise Duncan. What was the golf like? I mean, you said you got out Thursday, Friday. You didn't probably get out so much on the weekends. What impresses you most about these professional players? For those people who've not been to a professional tournament, not sure whether it's worth going. Um, I just think it's the fact that they. Well, I don't. I don't. I don't think. If I'm honest with you, I don't think there's a real difference between the men and the women. If I, I, I just don't think there is. I think at the end of the day, they're professional golfers, and I'm just in awe of any of them when I go and watch them because 
they're doing stuff that I literally can't even dream of doing. And I'm not saying about hitting at miles and stuff. You know, they just have such, you know, great technique, you know, the course management, all that side of things. And then also playing under pressure. I mean, I mean, that's maybe probably brings in what happened on 18 on on the sort of final hole. But, you know, that ability to play under pressure when it's when everything's at stake and then, you you know, you get told pretty much the day before you're teeing off that this prize fund's gone up as well, which is the other thing, you know, suddenly you're paying for, playing for a lot more money. Um, and I know it's, we don't want to always focus on money, but, you know, that is obviously a big payday, um, you know, and, and I just think it's that side of things, but it's not for me, it's not men, women, it's just the fact they are professionals at what they do. So I'm a big sports fan. So whenever I go and watch any sport, you're just in awe of the fact that they, they're just sort of superhuman in my eyes. I was having a chat to a mate of mine last week, Logue, and he was talking to me. In fact, Lawrence Donegan might have even said this also on the State of the Game podcast. I didn't pick up on what I probably should have. Oh, I watch women's golf because it's more relatable. Is that the greatest load of nonsense imaginable? <laughs> women's golf is not more relatable to amateur golfers, do you reckon? I don't think it is. It's it's not nonsense, but it's a bit a bit of a tired trope now. Um, I think we can we can do a bit bit better. It's and, also and not start- true, though, is it? Yeah, well, that's true. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> they, they consistently I, I, seem to hit the middle of the club face as a professional golfer, male or female, and uh, that, that's something I don't relate to. Um, so, well, I thought about yeah. it this way. So this is what I said. This is what I said to my mate. I said, "Well, if you think this is relatable, I watched Steph Kiriakou at Bonville shoot eight under the front nine from what are the traditional men's tees for the club golfers. They would have scratch and plus markers at Bonville, who've never gone close to that. The best players in the club never gone close to eight under for nine holes." Or nine under for eighteen. It's it's not relatable in any way, shape, or form. In reality, you might look at the no. distances hit off the tee and think, "Yeah, good, strong young male players hit it further than that." But that's not playing golf. There's a mm. real difference there, I reckon. I was going to say a good example of this is I got to go to the um, Aramco Team Series event at Centurion with the LET event uh, back in July, and the format is three pros and one amateur. And I, you know, I had to feel for some of these. Men in particular who were standing on the same. I mean, again, there's, there could be some debate about them playing off the same tees as the professional women because the female amateurs were playing off a forward tee. But that's a, a probably a debate for another day. But you know, watching them tee off, and some of them were probably single finger, single figure handicaps and stuff. But it wasn't the same. They were not at all producing anything that looked like what I just watched the three female pros hit off. Um, so. Yeah, I, I don't. I just don't see that. And, and there was also um, a friend of mine was playing as one of the amateurs, but she plays off plus three, and she was playing off the forward tee. And in fact, what she wanted was the challenge to be back yeah, playing of off the off the tees with the with the pros, just to, just to challenge herself just to, to see, see whether she could keep up, you know, to that level. Um, and then she found being on a forward tee actually was almost a bit of a disadvantage because all the clubs that she wanted to use were sort of not able. She wasn't able to use them and and things like that. So I think. Yeah, when you say relatable, yeah, is a is a very tired word now. I think, and it's just it's almost like, come on, you need to watch women's golf because it's relatable, and it's it's not about it's not about that. I th- I still think you would watch it and go, oh my goodness, I wish I could hit a shot like that or shake the shot like that, or you know, I mean, you know, some of the sort of putting and stuff that you get to see. It's just it's definitely the, next level. What was the winning <laughs> or, score at Kabuki? It was it was double digits under par. I think was twelve it? under. I think what yeah. Was it? Yeah, twelve under. I don't think I've ever met anyone fact- who could could have shot twelve under off those tees over those four days. No, no. I the relatable so, part is that it's a demonstration of what your potential 
might be if you have your best hole of the year 18 holes in a row. Mm. <laughs> that's 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 what's relatable, but only because the distances can be Just somewhat similar if you're playing your best. You can imagine that the decision-making from any given spot is similar, but it's just demonstrated a lot better and then executed a lot better than you're mm-hmm. capable of. But it all seems within reach because yeah. <laughs> you've... You've done it at some point. If you take your eclectic, you might, you might get <laughs> all the best shots you've ever hit in your life. Yeah. You might yeah. might just sneak <laughs> under par if you put them all together for one for one round. Did you read Huggy's story? You might have read this, Emma. Nicholas Colsart's caddy caddied for Sue over a couple of weeks, and Huggy did a terrific piece talking to him about the difference between caddying for the men and the women. Fabulous piece. I'll dig up. I'll tell you what I'll do, Logue. I'll dig it up and I'll put a link in the show notes for those who might not have read it. Uh, it was a really, really, it was a really interesting perspective to hear his take on the difference between caddying for well, Nicholas is probably not one of the longest on tour anymore, but he certainly was for for many, many years, and the difference between that and the sorts of golf uh, that that the women play because it is quite different. I mean, the the difference in clubhead speed creates two very different games between the top flight men and women, but it's two very different games between the top flight golfers and the rest of us, uh, the rest of us as, as as well. Did you get to see much of the Curtis Cup the week after, Emma? Um, I had to, unfortunately, it was one of those ones because I'd been at Carnoustie the week before. Um, I wasn't able to go to both. And as I say, because we're not just, unfortunately, not just focused on on sort of elite, well, elite amateur tour yeah. level. I had to do other stuff last week. But the great thing we had over here was we had sort of wall-to-wall coverage. So the RNA put on uh, their Facebook, you know, it was on their Facebook live feed every single day. We had a YouTube, we had YouTube coverage as well from actually Curtis Cup themselves. So... You know, it was it was really accessible to watch from the point of view of you had to stay home. Um, so I didn't, I won't, will admit I didn't get to watch at all, but it, it was just, yeah, I just love team golf as well. That's another sort of, you know, complete different sort of dynamic. Um, and it was great to see some of them. And, and obviously in, in the role I've been doing the last six months, I've got to understand and, and sort of appreciate a lot more of the, what the amateurs do. I have to admit that probably... As a golf fan, I, I didn't really pay as much attention to the amateur side of things. It was more about the pros. So, yeah, you know, to see names you're familiar with and obviously to see that transfer of Louise from Louise Duncan from, you know, Carnoustie to Conway was just, yeah, it was interesting. Really interesting. What, we seem to see this every time, Logue. Is there any way to explain or is it just coincidence? All square after the team matches, the four balls and the four sides. Tied. And then, tied. Sorry. Point of yeah. order. Uh, actually, well, I, did you notice on the commentary, they gave up on that very early on the Curtis Cup. They were back to all square, halving oh. holes. Um, well, I, was- I, I had to keep I had to keep changing it. I, kept, well, I always wanted to put all square when I was writing about it. Of course. And, and I we don't should, like tied. We should actually <laughs> get rid of those changes just by ignoring them. Civil disobedience is only going to take us a while. <laughs> They'll change it back because it's absurd. Of all the things they could do, that was a stupid thing. But why is it that they can go to the – Start of the Sunday singles all tied, and somehow American golfers just seemed to catch fire in the singles, and they it ended up being not even close in the end. What's that about, like? And we see this in all the team matches. It's possible we might see this again this week at the Solheim Cup. We see it not uncommon yeah. at the Ryder Cup. Yeah, I think even in Solheim Cups where Europe has won, I think the USA has a winning record in the single in the final day singles. Maybe even they're undefeated in the final day singles. I, don't, I, I might have heard that wrong. Uh, but, yeah. Which doesn't make any sense, does it? Because in 2021 and 2020, all those players from the European side, most of them are playing college golf in the States. 
Mm. So they're having the same golf experience, aren't they? It's it, Yeah, it is interesting. Uh, obviously, the college system does expose players to a lot of uh, match play. Um, it's, you say most of them. It's not. It isn't all of them. Maybe that is the difference. Um, and, and also, when you're comparing the teams on paper, the USA teams in every team's competition are always stronger. And perhaps that just shows up uh, in the singles. Um, yeah. I mean, they definitely had a stronger team overall. So I think it was almost a shock on that first day where... GB and I managed to go ahead. Um, and I think a lot of people were thinking that final day with it being tied, that it was, you know, it was America's to sort of lose in some ways because they just, they were just so strong. Um, but, you know, I think I think it's, and also I think for me, I was one of the ones, I, one of the bits I did watch with, um, with Louise Duncan when she lost her singles, it was just like her face like she, yeah. you just or the elation of the week before just you just sort of crumbling in front of you like oh she was just so frustrated um so I think um yeah I mean it was it was just good that it was able to take place and then you don't, we only have to wait another year for the next one so uh it's uh it's quite good that it's uh but the only good thing you get the team golf <laughs> is that it's compressed some of this stuff it's a funny thing about the uh that sort of you were saying a bit of a surprise on that first day for GB9. We see this occasionally in the President's Cup too. They're the team with everything to win and nothing to lose. All the pressure is always on the Americans and that's always – and I think that's where some of those results come from. There's nothing to lose. Everybody's already you – know, all the pre-tournament press has been about how, you know, the Americans are too strong. You've only got to look at their world rankings and all the mathematical calculations. There's something about playing with nothing to lose. It doesn't matter what happens. You get beaten five and four – one down makes no difference. So you might as well go out there and, and sort of throw caution to the wind. It's just an interest, but it is interesting how that so often happens uh, in those Curtis Cup teams where the unexpected teams get up sort of early in the. Uh, in a, you mentioned the RNA there; we've been doing some fabulous things, including with the Women's Open. But the Curtis Cup on YouTube, and uh, I think you said it was on the Facebook feed as well. So we got to watch it here in Australia if you wanted to stay up in the night time. What do you think about those as sort of initiatives, Emma? And do you see? You said yourself, and I think we're all guilty of it. We pay very little attention to elite amateur golf. Does this help? Yeah, I think, well, I, I do think it helps. And I think also in the UK, from, from a professional level, um, obviously we, we have our main TV coverage comes through Sky Sports and, you know, they've been putting a, a lot of effort into streaming, you know, streaming live coverage on their YouTube channel, which I know is not necessarily great for everybody. But, you know, imagine seeing the Open or the Masters stream live for free on a on on a on a on a platform like YouTube, it just doesn't happen. So, you know, there are so many opportunities to watch sort of women's golf, whether that be elite or amateur. And I think the problem the problem we're finding is the fact that people just don't know about it. So, I even got to speak to I know obviously you've had a bit on before Richard Kaufman at the at the um, at Carnoustie. And I, I got to interview him and I was chatting about stuff and I said, oh, it's great, isn't it, that you've got YouTube coverage on Sky Sports, blah, blah, blah. And he said, it is, but even he said, I just don't think people know it's there. Yeah. And I think that's just such a amazing sort of thing. And I, and I even get messages through our social media, people saying, oh, I tried to tune in and, and oh, it's just the men's golf on. And I'm like, well, but it's, it is there. You can view it. And, you know, people have smart TVs now. So, you know, I could watch YouTube easily on my tv it's about finding it's, it's finding it that people find so difficult so you'll say it's live on facebook and people are like, i have no idea what i'm doing how i watch it and, you know and, and the rna have put pretty much all their amateur championships mm. as a live feed on their facebook this year 
So the accessibility is much, much higher than it ever has been. You know, they don't you know, bypass the main broadcasters and sort of do their own thing, which is amazing, really. Well, and, the main and, broadcasters have given up on golf anyway. So. Well, well. And the even more amazing <laughs> thing is the coverage is generally uncluttered with all of the stuff that a main broadcaster brings to it. You've often got cameras on the ground, people running around in carts trying to keep up with the groups, but you know, getting amazing camera angles that really make you feel like you're there. It's this guerrilla type of tournament coverage that's actually pretty engaging and a lot less ad load, obviously. Um, so it, it's it's really worthwhile viewing. I think I watched both uh, amateur championships uh, on YouTube recently and enjoyed them immensely just because I could, you know, the, it was great seeing enthusiastic young players, but it was also fantastic to see a couple of these golf courses that I hadn't had a good look at and uh, seeing, seeing them on the ground uh, in this guerrilla style of, of tournament coverage was really interesting. And I think, I think also it's just the fact it's there, well, I say forever, but, you know, as long as that coverage is there online, it's, exact, it's accessible whenever anyone wants mm. to watch it. You know, once it's been on Sky Sports on the TV, unless you've recorded it, it's gone. So, you know, I just think, yeah, I think it's, it's just one of those things that we just don't shout enough about and tell people enough about, like, you know, and there is this argument always about free to, free to air and not being on free to air. And if then that means people aren't getting their eyeballs on it. Well, my kids only look at YouTube. They don't even like know what a TV is anymore. They just look on their iPads. They watch, you know, they watch everything on their, on their iPads and it's mainly YouTube. So surely that's a great market to be in and, and golf to be at the forefront of that would be, you know, is, a, is only a good thing as far as I can see. I was actually about to say, how long will it be before this is just standard? There is a whole generation, isn't there, Emma, for whom the television stations that we grew up with are completely foreign to them as a notion. The notion that you would have to sit down at 7.30 on a Tuesday to watch something because that's when it's on. Completely foreign to, this, to the next generation of people. So, in fact, you might you might find ultimately this is where the bigger tournaments is where they actually end up is on YouTube. So, this getting ahead of the curve, as you say. Is there anything in that for us, Adrian, to consider down here in Australia? We really pro- struggle with professional golf. Professional golf is an extraordinarily expensive sport to cover for TV networks. Lots of cameras, lots of cabling, lots of bodies on the ground, loads of things happening at any given time. It's not like football or tennis where you can have four cameras and if you want to and get away with, with doing that. Is there anything in that for us here to be thinking about looking forward, the potential for online and streaming? It's not mainstream in our generation, but I think Emma's right. Her kids, they won't watch a television. They'll only ever watch YouTube or Facebook. No, I mean, I, I think I'm personally pretty well adapted to it. I subscribe to a lot of YouTube channels and I some pretty obscure stuff, as you know, Rod. Uh, oh, I but, do know indeed. Yes. <laughs> but uh, the uh, you never watch any of the stuff I send you. I, I, no. I never get the feeling. No, I don't. You, you don't enjoy the things I like. But I'm not a video we'll, guy. We'll have to. I'm not a visual. You have to like person. things I like. I read um, or I listen. That's what I do. I don't watch. Almost. Uh, you've got to get Rod within the first five seconds of a video, or he's not watching it. Uh, but the thing about these YouTube golf tournament coverage, it, it's very much like the the coverage that we pine for from golf from on 80s. ABC in the 80s in Australia that that Rob Williamson puts up on his Twitter feed um, where, you know, you got like a six-hour block of coverage for day one of the, yeah. like, of the Tasmanian Open. <laughs> like it was... Uh, U- Utes parked on the course with cameras in the back of them. <laughs> yeah. Blocks of tinger chucked up against the tripods to get them level. Wonderful. That's effectively what we see, but um, yeah. the we've seen it... Uh, at the, these player series events and some of the state opens, Rod, 
where they make a big effort to try and do a quote-unquote proper tournament coverage on a budget and it is extremely expensive to you know just to even with a single truck and um a makeshift studio and uh four cameras maybe if they're lucky all mobile no fixed cameras that that alone is a lot of money like that's tens of thousands of dollars of production costs and uh a lot of a lot of uh human costs as well and uh what it results in unfortunately often is sort of laid bare when you put it up on youtube and you see the live stream getting 30 40 100 views or something you, you think to yourself wow i wonder if that was worth the expense that they went to to get uh you know 100 live live viewers um but you know it's it, i think it is the sort of thing they've got to keep plugging away at it's for the purists right now but it might be for the next generation it might be the way that they consume golf I think that sounds similar to what what we've been. Well, what I say we like the royal we. It's nothing to do <laughs> with me. Right. This, this <laughs> it TV sounds a bit like running over here on the side. What we've been doing there, yeah. All this production work I do. Uh, no, it sounds very similar to what they do with the Rose Lady series. Um, and you know, obviously, Kate and Justin Rose have a huge amount to do with that. And you know, I don't have a clue about how much it costs. All I know is that when I got to interview Kate once, she just said it is really expensive. And they, again, they have, a, they do a highlights um, show and it's about, well, I say four cameras, it's probably more than four cameras, but it seems only about four cameras that they have to sort of scoot around the course to make sure they're in the right positions to try and get the odd, you know, the decent shots. Um, they know sort of which players they're hoping would shoot well. So they're having to make sure they've got them on camera. Um, but then there's all, what, you know, what, what happens where there's that, anomaly and there's someone that goes crazy and that they didn't expect to score well and they're not necessarily going to get the coverage um but it is amazing that they can do that and then produce this highlights package but the actual effort to go in to do it is just it's phenomenal you just think oh you stand over the camera and just you know, stream it and there off you go it's it's just obviously not that simple at all consumers don't care though do they Emma? consumers oh, don't no. care they don't think about any of that stuff do they no, we're all a bit greedy. We just want the best of the best. We want to see all the all the great shots and, and all that side of things as well. And I think you don't appreciate it. I think even on the slight aside, before I got more into a, a media role, I was always just so, I used to get so frustrated when I was looking at coverage of women's golf. And I was like, oh, you know, why don't people cover it, cover it more? You know, there's so many great players and why are they not doing this? And why are they not doing that? And I was almost a bit like that at Carnoustie as well, because it didn't feel like it had as much... You know, there just weren't as many people there covering it. Um, and I looked at social media, there wasn't as much going on. And I found it really frustrating. But I know full well in the role that I'm doing now that you can't cover it all. And you have to go, you know, if your readers are watching the men's golf, then the men's golf is going to take precedent over the women's golf. And it's just, you know, there is never enough resource. You can never do it all. And, and, and that's definitely where I've, you know, I've had to learn a lot more and get a little bit calmer around getting frustrated at, at the lack of coverage sometimes of, of women's golf in particular. For, for a minute there, you really sounded like working media, Emma, when you were just complaining. <laughs> you, you, you were painting a picture Incessantly, of just sitting yeah. in the media centre, complaining, eating your free food. Like, it's just, These it's transcripts sometimes take seven or eight minutes before they get to. How am I supposed to write a story about a cut and paste job with the transcript? I know. Well, it's, I think it's just, it's just one of those things, though, because I think for me, maybe let's say five years ago, 
um, you know, as I say, my role then was made much more social media. And I'd sit there and I just think, why is no one like covering this? What's going on? And it's easy for me then to sit there and just whine on Twitter about the lack of coverage. Um, and then I did try and educate myself a bit more. And I actually spoke to editors of magazines and things to try and get understand why this was happening. Um, and it is much more complicated than I initially thought than just a case of giving someone the assignment, you know, go and cover this. Um, but I will say that people will be there when it, when they need to be. So, or we're too busy, but they're very happy to be there for four days of, of the Open, for example. Um, so I, I don't know. I, st- I think I still think there is a need for someone just to go, do you know what, we're going to do this. We're going to take this, own it and run with it, which is a bit sort of like what the Rose Lady series did, you know, that we're going to take this, own it and do it and show you you can do it without being governed by a governing body or, or an organisation, whatever it is. Um, but I still, yeah, it, it, I just think I'll always forever be frustrated at the fact that we just can't cover it all. And even I, as I say, even I can't do it at, at just for women's golf. So I can't imagine what it's like when you're trying to cover everything. How many journos were there at the Women's Open, do you reckon? Um, I would say probably about 20, maybe. But again, it's... I wasn't so worried about the number of people there on the ground because, you know, as I say, with coronavirus and things, there were no American journalists, for example, and stuff like that. Um, You know, I think it was just for me that you want a hype, you want things to be built up. um, And I even struggled to do that on our own channels because I'm trying to record it, watch it, write about it. And then you're trying to send a tweet out going, isn't this exciting at the same time? And you, you can't. And then also with the with the Curtis Cup um, captain and, you know, captain picks as well coming in. So there's lots of other things going on in the background that people... Yeah, golf doesn't stop looking, because you're at this tournament. Yeah, people, people who are looking <laughs> at our Twitter was. feed... For, yeah, people who are looking at our Twitter feed are just wanting to see Women's Open. Well, in the background, you've got to prep for the captain's picks that are coming and you've got to... You know, people are going off to have a, in, in an interview and or you're doing... So, and so I can completely appreciate that it is really difficult to sort of build the hype and cover it all but I just felt there was a real lack of um, excitement sometimes when I was I was so excited with what was going on there on that final day Um, and if you aren't able to watch the live feed and you are taking off social media and stuff I don't think you probably got as much of that potentially um, as you would have done if that had been the Open or the Masters or something else because everyone's talking about it. It's unlikely um, we'll ever get to that. I don't think either that the, the, the men's golf is probably always going to be bigger in terms of events. Not not every single week there'll be outlier. I think the Solheim Cup this week is a very good chance to outrate much of what we're going to see at Atlanta at the I Tour Championship. I don't know. I mean, that but, Tour Championship, I mean, that, I mean Sunday <laughs> was just phenomenal. Sunday, I mean, I, I will freely admit that Sunday was absolutely epic watching. The Tour I mean, Championship? Yeah, who's, who's going to get into Valley. the final 30? Yeah, who's going to get the final 30? The shootout between Cantlay and, and, and DeChambeau. I mean, that's as good as golf gets, really, Some, uh, as far as I'm concerned, anyway. That was a brilliant watch. And, and I say, that, that underlying story of you need the putt on 18, you know, and then, yeah, I thought it was... I, I will admit that that was pretty pretty epic viewing. The golf was fantastic. I didn't get to watch much of it. I was watching it unfold on Twitter. But, yeah, no doubt the golf was exciting and interesting. A six-hole playoff, a couple of the best players in the world, and that sort of stuff. But it's interesting to hear you say that, Emma. I couldn't be less excited by the notion of who gets into the top 30 because we're going to watch a handicap tournament unfold this week. And that just cannot be right. To me, the Solheim Cup is going to be a much more interesting watch for the very reason that 
you know, welfare for the wealthy, those who need it the least get the most help at the Tour Championship. So if you've already won the most money and you've done the best in the – you get an even bigger head start. It just, none of it works for me. I don't know how long they're going to stick with it, but I just no, can't I'm get not, excited I'm, about a handicap tournament. No, I'm not I'm not excited about the, the final no. round, I guess, in that respect. No, um, and I don't get that at all, and I'm the, the money's obscene. But if you – I was taking really just looking at the golf level. Um, yeah, so I get really. that. So, so to me, this is where – to give the PGA Tour a knock, all they need to do with this Tour Championship is if you're in the final 30, you get to play for the big pot of money at the end. You all start even. None of this reward for season-long performance. You've been rewarded. You won the most money during the season. That's your reward. You're in the top 30. That's your reward. Go out and play. If you're starting 10 shots behind the leader this week, Logue, how realistic do you reckon your chances are? You're at even par. Patrick Cantlay's at 10 under. I mean, how honestly, how much effort are you putting in? Yeah, and you always see that, don't you, in every single tour championship. The bottom 10 players just bail out after it's clear that they've got no chance. Um, if you don't shoot 62 on day one, well... <laughs> that's right. And the coverage actually becomes pretty boring because it's one or two people if you're lucky. Um, and we have had a few. The one Rory won a couple of years ago was pretty exciting and, uh, with Tiger as well. So... Um, you know, you get lucky sometimes with the couple of players that are left. It it gets interesting. It I like your concept, Rod, and of everybody's playing for the the big prize, starting mm. from an even uh, footing. I a couple of years ago, I probably a would have here. What's the but? Where's the, where's well, there a but? <laughs> a couple of years ago, I probably would have said, "Oh, I see the argument for the season long race, and you should get in there. Uh, you should have some advantage going in." Um, based on the season-long race. I I don't necessarily think the head start is the way to do it, like starting the leader on 10 under or whatever they do. Um, That said, what's changed my mind perhaps a little bit, and it's the eternal problem with golf, is that you don't necessarily get the best player winning on any given week. In fact, it rarely happens. And it's the same problem we've faced with the Olympics. Um, You know, we, we clearly got the best player uh, winning the women's Olympic gold medal. Um, but, yeah, we didn't get the world number one winning the men's Olympic gold medal. But non-golfers will go away thinking, oh, that, that Xander Schauffele, he must be the best golfer in the world. Um, so that's the problem that golf faces with these these events. And how do you address that? It's either, like I said, I, I think I said in our Olympic podcast, uh, really the Varden Trophy, I think, is the is the true crowning achievement in PGA Tour uh, over the PGA Tour year. Whoever wins the scoring averages, I, I think, is the best golfer on the PGA Tour season. Um, but, uh, you know, who wins that last four-day uh, restricted Do you want me to make it event? simple for you? Do you want me to make it simple for you? Yeah. So the person who's leading Cancel the FedEx Cup up. at the end of the BMW, give them $5 million. They've won the season-long points race, and they're in the field to win the other $10 million with everybody else. Yeah, okay. So they get, it's like a minor premiership. You get, you get yeah, you money go. for winning exactly. the minor premiership, yep. and then everybody's uh, starting from an and, even. And now you go on chance to win another 10. You're playing well. Go and win this week. Good luck. It's incredibly sense. Are you spitballing ideas for your column on Monday? Is that is that what's going no. on? <laughs> I, I promised myself this year not to write about the Tour Championship over the last years. <laughs> I genuinely think it's disgraceful and disgusting, and it, 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 it makes golf a joke. Professional golf, competitive golf, has never been about handicap golf. Handicap golf is for us. 
you don't have handicapped golf for the best players in the world, especially for massive stakes like that. It's just wrong. It doesn't uh, and, help uh, as well that they play it on a big soft green blob, as our friend Kevin Van Cleef likes to call you know, <laughs> the, the tour events. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great call in it, but you're not going to change that. Uh, although it was interesting to hear, did, did you note Rory's comments last week about courses being the same? I don't know whether you saw this, Emma. So Rory was, you know, they were talking about the difference between the FedEx Cup playoffs and the majors and how they feel. And Rory basically said, look, PJ Tour is in the business of entertainment and, uh, you know, I kind of like it and the players like it that every week you turn up, you're basically playing the same golf course. You don't have to go out there three or four days in advance and learn it like you do at the majors. Very dangerous stuff, I think, Emma, if the players are in this comfort zone of, yeah, yeah. it's a player organisation, you can understand how it happens. But does that not just go against the spirit of everything about competition where, I mean, he actually said, you know, I like that you don't have to go out and learn the golf courses because you already know them from the year before and they're going to be set up like the one was the week. But the same sand, the, second the, question, the greens are going to be running at the same speed. The, that's exactly right. They're the going greens to be are going to be block. exactly as receptive as the greens you played yeah, last week. Exactly the rough's right. going to be cut to the same length as the rough you played last week. So then the next that's question right. is this notion that play, that entertainment in professional golf equals birdies. It's, an, it's the entertainment business. You've got to have players making birdies. Do you, I don't accept that. What do you reckon? No, I was, I was just going to say, I mean, this is the problem, is it becomes boring to watch if they're, all they're doing is doing the same thing week in, week out. You want to see the challenges that those golf courses should sort of throw up for them. And that's why they come unstuck when they come over and, and play on a Lynx course and things and you see them actually struggling and you're like, oh, well, I thought they found golf easy and you watch them. And I mean, that was the only thing I would say about last week is that, you know, the course was, you know, I mean, 20, was it 27 under or whatever? I mean, that's just, that's silly. It's just, it's silly numbers. Um, you know, wide open fairways. It's it, it's not necessarily most compelling to watch, hmm. is what I would say. And if you're, you know, if there's no variety, then it's, you're only going to end up switching people off, I think. It's not going to be, it's not exactly going to get people sort of coming into, in their droves to want to, want to view it every week. What it, what it does no do is set up. It, well, it really sets up a, a test of execution. And that's what we saw last week. Some amazing skills on display with two golfers executing shot after shot superbly and knocking pins out. It was ridiculous. Like they're just, you know, you're presenting them with a shot off a good lie in ideal conditions where they've got, they know how far it needs to carry. There's not a lot of wind or a lot of other challenges going on. It's just, I need to hit it at that target. And those are the two guys that, executed that the best on the week and that's pretty amazing to watch you know though that's a pretty special skill set that they've got Um, well i think also i was going to say also with that was the fact that they both had a different approach that's what i sort of probably took from it you know same golf course same score totally different approach almost felt to me at times you know you know totally different looking swings and you know but both able to end up with a similar result on the end of you know at the end of each hole um so i think there was there was that to me because it became like a shootout almost that was the that was the sort of cool bit about it but yeah i'm not sure that that's you know it's not going to work all the time i think it's interesting to look at what the ball's doing in those cases and the ball for both players was just taking off and going splat yeah and that that to me nullifies the different approach a little bit. Like they do have different styles of play, but in the end they're kind of making the ball do the same thing. Whereas, uh, you know, 
on on Carnoustie, as Rod was probably about to say, uh, there is the opportunity for the ball to do some different things. Um, and you can see, you know, Inby Park hitting a uh, hybrid from, you know, 200 out and working out where she needs to land the ball to have it finish where she wants it to finish while Nelly Corder might might have a five iron from that distance and, uh, you know, is thinking about a completely different place to land the ball or... Um, and and the slopes are such at Carnoustie that uh, you know the line that they need to take for those two shots is remarkably different. It's not just the distance that they're hitting it, but it's the line and then the shape that they need to hit it to hit the slope in the right way and it, and the spin they need to put on it. it. There's a lot more factors at play there. So the cor- what we saw at Caves Valley really it kind of removes the golf course from the equation, doesn't it? Like- it so does. It, it golf sets course up that. no longer becomes part of the. You could have that same exciting tournament at Top Golf to a digital yeah. target. Exactly. Yeah? yeah, you could. It really reminded me of Top Golf watching it. And again, it yeah. doesn't take away from the spectacle of it because no, the, the arena, skills the arena is impressive. The skills yeah. are extraordinary. It's just it's it's asking a certain question. And Bryson DeChambeau and Patrick Cantlay in particular strike me as two players who are highly optimized to answer that question that particular question over and over and over again. And that's not to say that that's easy to do, but it is less interesting to watch. Did you see any of the players at any stage at Canoosti looking relaxed, Emma? I didn't. There's no there's no let-up, is there? No, there, there isn't. I mean, I think, it, and again, I think when you're on a major, on a major setting, it's always a, you know, an added pressure as well. Um, I mean, I will admit that sometimes you saw them chatting and looking reasonably comfortable with each other, you know, on the fairways and things but you know I think on that last day and then obviously down the, the back nine it was all just head down get it done um, and it was yeah it was I don't know how they managed to handle the pressure really if I'm honest with you no, I, I would go along with that that might be the greatest skill <laughs> I, I fold up like a cheap deck chair <laughs> having a having a practice round there's enough pressure for me let alone playing for actually something so seriously many- worthwhile so many of those players we're going to see in a different context in this coming week as well. Like I'm just looking at the at Team Europe for the Solheim Cup. Uh, you had Georgia Hall, Anna Nordquist, uh, obviously. Leona Maguire uh, went Nana pretty well. Sagstrom was up there. And, of course, Nana Kurtz-Madsen, who I think is sensational to watch. You never know what's going to happen. She's so volatile. Um, fiery. Yeah. <laughs> fiery. And... Uh, we're going to see them in a different context, a really competitive head-to-head context uh, in this coming week. I just can't wait. Uh, those those players and their styles of play and uh, playing on a good course at Inverness um, against uh, top-class opponents, it's just going to be a lot of fun. If Danielle Kang and Nana Madsen are drawn in the same group, Logue, oh. is there a chance we might see a physical confrontation? Is that possible? <laughs> We could. They're both very spirited. It's not off the books, is it? There, there could be some sort of a ruling, a drop taken that somebody's not happy about. Those two in particular could uh, could really sort of lose their stuff. What about? Were you out on the 18th when the Nana incident happened? And of course, we're all focusing on the say, poor tell shot say out what of the bunker for one of for one of a better term. But in fact, the I bad shot really was the one from the fairway with the six iron that put her in the bunker. Well, in the first that was an awful golf wide. shot. Yeah, yeah really oh, terrible golf shot for a player of her sort of standard. But uh, were you out there for that happening? Were you part of the collective 
I was, in the, I was in the media centre and everyone just went, oh, Ooh. that happened. And then I, when I was trying to write it, I just thought, I can't write the word. I just can't, I can't bring myself to say what she did no, because I, no. I just thought, do you know what? That was just every golfer's, Night. any level, <laughs> worst nightmare. I mean, to just to do that out of a bunker, I think I, you know, it was just, yeah. So I couldn't even work, write the S word, to be honest. Well, you think it's your worst nightmare, until you get over to your ball and realise you've now got to play another shot. Yeah. <laughs> That's and then the you, worst just, nightmare. It was, just, it was just the whole thing unfolding. And, then, and I just felt so sorry for her because, you know, to go from contending to win to then not even coming second was just, yeah, I think that was just, yeah. I mean, I don't know how you, I'm sure she has had time to think about it and probably doesn't feel too bad about it maybe now because she's got to focus on, on this week. But it's just, yeah. And, you, and, to, you know, and someone like that, you know, that would have been a massive deal you know, between missing second and third place. You know, it's just, it's a, it's a big, big difference. I hate to disagree, um, but she's, she's not I, getting over that, Emma. You don't well, get no, over I, that. I'm, and to in be, fact, I'm trying to be, I'm the most negative person I know. I'm trying to be really positive <laughs> for her. But in no, fact, I think. This will be awful for her this week, I would think, at the Solon Cup in many ways. Uh, you think? I, you can't do that. Then turn up at the Solon Cup, which is a whole other form of amped up pressure. And just feel okay about it all. Yeah, I'm not it sure. Was just, it was just one really. That, I mean, I don't know. When I think it counted. She's got to take. I'm actually. She's <laughs> got it. She, I know. But you've got to Thursday think that she played morning, so well. Yeah, today. We wouldn't be talking about. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. And of course, this this is the thing. And this is this is what golf does to you. You're right. It's just one bad shot at just the wrong time. But of all of the bad shots, now had she thinned that and it had gone OB over the back, yeah, okay, that's understandable. Downhill lie bunker, that can happen. But the shot that she hit is the one that, that will never leave your mind because you can't explain it. You can never explain it. No golfer's ever been able to say, oh, I understand how that happened. That's okay. I'll just fix it. No, you can't. And that's no, it all. Was, that- it, was a, it was a horror. It was just, mm. you know, and I'd say the audible massive well, gasp yeah. that came well, from everyone in the media centre was just like, oh, my goodness. I can't believe she's just done that. It was the same in um, my lounge room. I was like, yeah. what? Hey, what happened there? Well, I don't know. I'd like, I'd like to think the experience of going to Solheim and all that sort of things. I hope so too. It's not like you're thrown straight into singles either. You know, if she is, if she is paired up on those first few, first no, couple of days. Um, what if you're a foursomes I mean, partner, Logan, on the first hole, you hit it in a bunker? How do you feel then? <laughs> do you do it on purpose? I don't know. It, it's yeah, it's one of those. It's just it could come out. It, it could come again at any moment. You just don't know. She she was a little unlucky. It was the almost the rare hosel, which gets a bit of spin and and yeah. stays on the green. It was, <laughs> or catches the lip and and bobs up in a something good happens. Yeah, effective sort of way. Yeah, um, but uh, you know, it's oh, I don't know. It's one of those things. It's the player coming to What are we looking forward I'm, to I'm, the I'm, most I'm all... this week, Emma? Oh, I, I was just going to say I'm I, I'm thinking that. That, that Team Europe is is pretty strong. I know I know we're probably much the underdogs, but I think it's a really good team. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm really excited, probably more so than I was at Glen Eagles in some ways. I think there's just some really strong candidates in there. I, I did feel sorry for Newton not getting in on the LET thing, but if I'm honest, I think that's probably in the nicest way probably probably a good thing from this time round. Just because the system doing its job, isn't it? That's yeah, the system and I, and job. I think. You know, I don't know how she feels this week, you know, playing on the LET rather than playing at Solheim. I'm sure that's probably something she feels a bit sick about as well. But, um, 
you know, I just think it's a really strong team. And as you say, a lot of them are coming off. And I, forms forms not necessarily always carried forward, but you know, a lot of them are coming off some a decent run at, at, at Carnoustie. And the fact that we've got quite a few of them that have played, you know, that play in America, and I think that that's going to got to be an advantage too. Um, you know, and, I, and I'm I'm still not sure about this home advantage thing. I think it's home advantage maybe from a fan perspective, but I think you know when you've got such a mixture of nationalities, different places, and stuff, I don't know that necessarily. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm just trying to be really optimistic here, but I, I think I think it's a <laughs> no, I think it's a really strong team. No, no, I, I tend to agree. There's there's a, there's a lot of players in the European team at very interesting stages of their career. Leona Maguire is coming off a fabulous year in in America, a real growth year. You look at her. You, you, know, you put her record against Nellie Quarters for the year and you go, well, you know, she's not done anything special, but she really has actually done something quite special. She's a very special talent. And next year you'll see the fruits of the labour from this year, but she's one I think I'm really looking forward to watch. She looks this like a week fearsome competitor too, doesn't she? Like She's a, a very really simple nice approach to the game, just sort of steps yeah. up to the ball and, and hits it. And Gives it a whack. Not a lot of emotion on display. No. Just um, a yeah, very determined sort of look about her on the mm-hmm. course. I wouldn't want to your opponent. She, she looks fearsome. No. <laughs> really good player. Emily Pedersen, who had a really hot end to the year last year, has clearly got a whole bunch of talent. I think she's another one. I think match play will suit her. You know, you can have the odd seven, doesn't matter. You can have six birdies to make up for it. And she's So I agree with you, right? A lot of different sort of styles of play. So it's going to be interesting. It's it's closer than it probably looks on paper, I think, uh, in that way. That's that's sort of my take on it. So, And I'll certainly be looking forward to watching it. It's weird days. It goes from Saturday to Monday because it's Labor Day, it's isn't it? They've got, they've got um, Labor Day, I think, Labor on day, the Monday. Yeah. So it's like, I think it's their bank, sort of bank holiday day. So I don't know why. It's it's really confusing me. Cause yeah, I me too. I was, going I thought, for Solheim Sunday and it's not Solheim Monday, you know, for another yeah, day. Bizarre. But anyway, that's the way things are going to be. So we'll, we'll look forward to watching that. Uh, been fabulous to have you along, Emma. We barely touched the sides on half the issues I wanted to talk to you. There's too much professional golf that we had to talk about. That was the problem. But we'll get you back again for sure uh, to talk about more women and golf. We try to talk about women's golf on this show more than many others do. So it's been good of you to come along and be a part of it. Thank you. Well, it's been a, an absolute problem highlight. You know, apart from apart from interviewing Annika last week, this is pretty much, you know, second. Yeah. Oh, just second. I'm sorry. Just. <laughs> I'm really sorry, but just second. You might need to adjust the bar a bit. I'm, there, so, I'm sorry on two levels there. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm oh, sorry no, we're second I, best, but I'm also sorry that that's I'm, that's a highlight. I can't that's even tell you this is this is a massive this is a massive highlight. I don't think I'm going to come down off this high. How was that? But oh, she, well, I mean that's another story. But no, she was great, and it, I'm amazed to have someone who could just talk talk so openly and honestly with someone they don't really even know. Well, they don't know at all. In fact. Um, but yeah, no, I just, it's just been great to be able to come on. I mean, like with Meg and Meg McLaren and, and all the great people you've had on here, it's like, oh, am I, and me, little old me. Meg I'm is such excited. a legend, isn't she? Meg is going to make all of us look worthless by the time it's all over. Absolutely. She's such a superstar. I'm um, copying and pasting the URL to Emma's uh, Sorenstam story now for you, Rod, to put into the show notes. Thank you, Lloyd. That's very good of you, mate. Thank you. Appreciate <laughs> so that. literally the least I could do. What was the one I was going to get? <laughs> Huggy's story. Can you look up Huggy's story yeah, with Huggy's the caddy? Yeah, Huggy's story, please. To put that in the show notes as well? Oh, oh, it's, I'm doing that. Okay. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> One day I'm going to actually get you to do the whole thing, just show notes, post it, <laughs> do the whole lot. Thank you. Uh, no, it's been good to have you along, Emma. We'll get you back to talk about some more other stuff because I'm very interested in the women in golf sort of 
demographic and how it all works with the online thing and how you track it all. As a media, I got interest in media, obviously. I always think media is an interesting business. And I think what women and golf is, that's a very interesting corner of media and what's happening there. So we'll get you back to talk about that one day. There's loads to talk about, lots to talk about. Well, it's almost never ending, in fact. And it's not just about golf. I mean, this is true of everything, but golf's a fabulous microcosm of a lot of stuff that happens elsewhere because, and and because we know it, it uh, it makes it easier. Good to have you along this week as always. Thank you, man. I'm not distracting you from collecting links there, am I? Not at all. No. Okay. Thanks, Rod. Um, and we're recording in an evening, which is very rare for us. And I'm very I'm rare, yeah. quite enjoyed it, actually. This was the way to go because I had a nice whiskey. We have a change? We're, while we're talking. Whiskey instead uh, of coffee? Yeah. And uh, we should do more of this recording in the evening. What did you call the coffee across the road? A hate crime, didn't you? The last time you were here? It tasted like a hate crime. coffee across the road. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. hate crime. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. Uh, Terrible coffee. You there. are. Uh, they should be ashamed. You are something They should be ashamed. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure they're not listeners. No, they're not listeners, I can assure you of that. Episode 89, done and dusted in the books. We'll be back again next week with episode 90 here on the Good Good Golf Podcast.